Gamecocks Now. It's the ultimate USC sports newsletter. Get inside access to all Carolina sports year-round. Written by Post and Courier reporter David Kloniger, Gamecocks Now includes insights and experience from his over 20 years on the beat. You won't find this from anyone else. Plus, subscribers get access to all Carolina and Clemson sports stories on the Post and Courier's website. Start your two-week free trial today at postandcourier.com slash Now. How's it going, everybody? David Kloniger with the Charleston Post and Courier and Gamecocks now welcoming you to another edition of Countdown to Kickoff. Uh, obviously, South Carolina had its bye week last week, so I had a bye week last week. I hope you guys were able to uh, relax and enjoy it in the meantime, as uh, South Carolina used the time to get a little itself a little bit better, and I used the time to kind of rest myself off from eight straight games. But uh, we're back uh, to preview the Florida game this weekend, and with me is my guest today is a former USC center from 2001 to 2004, Mr. John Strickland. John, how you doing? I'm doing great, David. How about you? Not too bad, my man. I appreciate you joining the call. And I, uh, I like your background decoration. Could you point out some of the other guys in the pictures for them? Yeah, so you got uh, you got John Alston. You got Jeff Barnes in the background back there. You got uh, Jabari Levy. Uh, let's see, Gavin Ford, who was a fullback. Uh, and the other guys are kind of jumbled up, so it's kind of hard to tell. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a picture that was gifted to me by Mike Raff's dad that he took. Uh, and uh, this one was one of the old pictures that were in the uh, stadium back in the day. Right, yes. I think I still remember I'm uh, gracing that back hallway back when Coach Holtz was here. Yeah, yeah. Those are kind of the senior gifts, right? Yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, you know, John, uh, you know, I know that you watch all the Carolina games and are still a loyal season ticket holder, that kind of thing. So let's just get right into it. The, te- the Texas A&M game, you know, wasn't much to, to talk about, uh, you know, wasn't a whole lot of highlights there. Just what did you see from that game and what were your overall impressions about the Gamecocks from it? Well, it was probably the worst offensive struggle I've seen in my 21 years as a Gamecock. Um, you know, I've, I was shocked. We only had 15 yards of offense through three quarters. Uh, I was a little dumbfounded by that. Um, thought we would perform a little bit better. Um, so, and then, you know, the defense can only do so much when they're on the field nonstop and the offense is going three and out. So that that's kind of my takeaway from the game. Yeah, and, and a lot of people have written to me, John, saying, you know, and this has been a season-long thing, you know, Dave, what's wrong with that offense? What's going on? And I think a lot of it, you always hear the expression, it starts up front. And it's why you're a perfect guest to have on this week, John, because the offensive line has struggled to be kind this year. As a guy who's been in it, who's been in the middle of those trenches, what do you see is going on with us, this offensive line? Well, throughout the season, you've seen a lot of miscommunication going on. Uh, there's been a lot of missed assignments. Uh, I was watching the, the the Georgia game, and I just sat there and counted uh, probably six missed assignments just on pass pro uh, the first half of the game, uh, just where guys were just running free. free. Now, whether that's uh, miscommunication on blocking scheme from the quarterback, the O-line, uh, running backs, missing blocks, whatever. Uh, it's definitely some stuff going on there. Um, and from what I've seen, it seems like in this offense, you know, when I played, the center made all the protection calls, the run, the run calls, blocking schemes. Uh, I, 
you know, I don't know this for a fact, but from just what I've seen, uh, seems as if the quarterback is making those calls instead of the center, which is rare. I mean, uh, if you watch any football game, you'll see the center pointing out, talking before snaps. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of that uh, in this offense. And it seems like the quarterback's the one that's calling the protections. And I think that's where a lot of the miscommunications are coming from. Uh, even the Vanderbilt game, I saw Eric Douglas and uh, Luke um, fussing back and forth with each other after one pass play where Luke got sacked, where the guy ran free, uh, sacked us, and nobody blocked him. And there was a clear miscommunication between the quarterback and the offensive line. And, you know, that brings up an interesting point, John. You know, as a center, how do you treat your quarterback? I mean, I know that they try to be as nice as possible, but they get sacked, they get hit, and they come up, you know, yelling at you. How did you try to handle it? Did you try to calm them down or did you, you know, did you pop back at them sometimes? You know what? I never had really any problems with quarterbacks getting upset. I mean, it is football. You are going to get hit. You are going to get sacked. I mean, none of us are perfect. Uh, you know, you train – you train to be perfect, but you're never going to be perfect. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, it's just all about just saying, hey, we'll get them on the next one, basically. I mean, you try not to get down on each other too much. Um, but I have seen some frustration between the O-line and the quarterback this season, uh, a lot of it, actually. I asked Marcus Satterfield, this was quite a few weeks ago, about what's going on, about who's making the calls. And he said, well, the center has the ability to identify the Mike linebacker the quarterback has the ability to identify the Mike linebacker and they can overrule each other. And to me, I thought, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I didn't press the point, but they've, they've said miscommunication is a very broad term for a lot of the offensive lines problems. So I asked this week, is it worth it to maybe simplify the offense, try to do the calls? And they said, well, the communication has gotten a lot better, but, that may be true, but the product seems to be getting a lot worse. So with the communication, John, from an offensive line standpoint, just tell it, explain that for the layman. What's all the communication going out there from play to play from the O-line to the QB? So basically, if you have a run play called, uh, the offensive line is going to run up to the, the line. The center is going to identify what defense they're in to mm -hmm. the, the, the whole offensive line. He's going to call out a Mike linebacker, and the Mike linebacker is usually where you work to. So you're working from Mike, and then you're going backwards to backside linebacker on down as far as who you're blocking to and working to. Uh, so it's basically the same thing during pass pro when you're on a pass play. Uh, you're calling your, your, your basically main side of the guy that you would be picking up. Um, that way your running back knows – where they need to work back to and pick up a blitz and same for whichever free uncovered offensive lineman doesn't have a guy he can slide out and pick up a blitz. Um, then there's other tells you can pick up on too. I mean, when I played, I could read a defense. By the time I walked up to the line and they kind of set up, I could read a defense. I could tell you what side, if they were blitzing, I could tell by where the safety was playing and how close the, um, um, they were walked up on the outside and which way they were slanting and bringing blitz from. Uh, I mean, I can pick it up quickly. Uh, I think it's better for the center to make those calls than it is the quarterback. Uh, but it seems like the way we're doing it right now is the quarterback's the one making the call. And I think that's where a lot of the miscommunication is. Um, 
I mean, I know a ton of guys who, who coach football uh, and I asked them, I was like, man, have you ever been around the offense that, you know, just the quarterbacks making the calls and the blocking schemes for the offense alone? They said pretty much never. So. Yeah, there's a lot of struggles going on down there. And of course, this week coming into the Florida game, there's another question, which is the status of the quarterback. I mean, uh, Shane Beamer says he's not going to name a starter before Saturday, which I get. I mean, you don't want to give anybody any advantage. And I also think that they honestly may not know. For those of you that, that might have missed it, Zeb Noland had a minor uh, knee surgery just after the AM game. He tore his meniscus, which is not one of the four main ligaments in the knee, and you can come back within a couple of weeks. And he has been in practice these past couple of days and doing a little more each day. That said, Zeb Noland, you know, nothing against him, but he's a statue back there. And you have to have a quarterback that's going to run around because they, you might agree with this, John. All Texas A&M did was line up eight in the box and rush four every play because they knew they're not going to run against that stack box and we can tee off on that quarterback. Is that what you saw? 100%. I actually said it during the uh, second quarter. Uh, <laughs> uh, and a lot of teams have been stacking the box on us all year, daring us to throw. Uh, uh -huh. And you go back to the ECU game, that's all they did is had eight, nine guys in the box and dare us in the second half. We finally started letting it loose and throwing it downfield. Uh, so that's that's been a thing that uh, pretty much all defenses have been doing against us all year just because they, they don't respect our pass game, and why should they? I mean, we haven't really done a whole lot with it. So, uh, And then they feel like they can just stack us up and beat our offensive line and st stop the run. Yeah. And that leads into it like, well, if Zeb Noland is still feeling that knee surgery and the choice is made easy, Jason Brown comes in. Now, Jason played the fourth quarter at Texas A&M. He, he threw a couple interceptions, one of which was his receiver's fault for bobbling the ball. But the main thing, the offense started moving. Now, yes, it was a second string defense. Yes, the Aggies were up 44 to nothing at the time and didn't have anything to try for. But the offense moved and a lot of it was because when they rushed, Jason could move out of trouble. So the choice this week, if Zeb's hurt, there is no choice. You start Jason. To me, I think that they're thinking very seriously about starting Jason anyway. And, John, what I wanted to ask you is that when you have a mobile QB like that, like that back there behind you, how much does that help out an offensive line that's struggling, and how much can that really energize an offense that's been struggling? Well, the good thing about having a mobile quarterback is it extends plays. Yes. So, you know, if, if you have a play and you don't have a mobile quarterback and you're not – I mean, we just haven't blocked very good, whether it's the the miscommunications or just getting straight up beat or running backs missing blocks, whatever it is, uh, we just haven't been very good there. So a mobile quarterback gives you the opportunity to extend plays and either run the ball or either – Get give other guys a chance to move around and, uh, you know, get open and get the ball to them. So that I think that's the that's the great thing about a mobile quarterback. Yeah. And as a refresher to our audience, John, who are the quarterbacks that you played with at USC and where were they on the mobility scale? Well, so Phil Petty obviously was the first one, but what people don't understand, Phil was actually a really fast guy. He really was. So he was actually pretty mobile. Uh, but then I have the mobile as mobile as you can get with Corey Jenkins, Andrell, and uh, Savelle Newton. Yeah. Uh, I think Blake and Mike Rapp, uh, were the only two that 
probably the least mobile. Uh, but you know, Blake was just, he was a pure pocket passer. That's what right. Blake was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I had a few mobile quarterbacks in my time. Yeah. Specifically with Dondriel and Savelle. I mean, those guys could really just make something happen out yeah. of and I think that's what the Gamecock – the Gamecocks are looking at pretty much anything on offense right now. But if you have a guy like Jason, and honestly at this point it's like, you know, what have you got to lose by putting him out there? At least maybe that gives the hope that he can get some of these guys in space and really start to work. And that leads us to another offensive question, John. A big part is the coach is saying, we got to get the ball to our playmakers. I think, well, yeah, that's a good idea. And then I see Jaheim Bell not in the game. I see E.J. Jenkins not in the game. With Josh Van, he's in the game, but he's getting double covered now, which is understandable with his early season success. But who are the other guys that the Gamecocks have to get the ball to if they're going to actually score some points? I mean, to be honest with you, I've been saying Jaheim Bell all year. Uh, So funny. So, you know, the long touchdown catch he caught against Vandy? Yes. 30 seconds before that play happened, me and Brewer, we sit beside each other at games and – I said, Brewer, we got to throw the ball to Bell. And sure enough, 30 seconds later, <laughs> like 75, 80-yard touchdown. I was like, well, there you go. Did I call it? Or did I? Uh, I think he's one that we have to find a way to get more involved in this offense. He is a bright, very athletic, up-and-coming tight end. I think he could be an all-SEC tight end, uh, you know, years to come. Uh, I think he's one. And then – Obviously, we have playmakers all in the backfield. Um, I, I don't know. We just can't seem to block the zone. I don't, I, we're just getting – basically, zone is you zone up and then you have a man and you have to beat that man. And we're getting beat, but we're also getting the box stacked on us just like, man, you just talked. Yeah. So what I would love to see is us run some more RPOs. Uh, I think one game I counted, we only ran one or two RPOs in an entire game. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to run some counter plays with a little pin and pull. Uh, I think that's where we test last year with Kevin Harris was was that running game. Um, I mean, when zones just not working, you you have to uh, you have to throw in this direction stuff with counters and stuff. And when you do that, I I, I personally like counter plays because it has the defense. It's not as easy for the defense to read. It kind of tricks them a little bit. And it opens up holes when that happens. So um, I think it's Bell, and we got to find a way to get the running backs involved. Whether we start throwing some screen screen passes, which we haven't done very much of at all, uh, I, I think you those are your playmakers, and you have to get them involved somehow. Uh, that was one thing about that that Vanderbilt game, and really that route. You noticed that it was actually kind of set up intentionally or non intentionally. Uh, the Gamecocks got the ball back. And they had had some success early. So then they run basically a trick play where it's a receiver uh, reverse to the end where he got cut off and then tackled. And I thought, why are you trying to get cute? You know, just line up and run the ball. But then what do they do? They line up the tight end to one-on-one coverage, send him deep down the field, bam, touchdown. And I know a lot of people think, why can't you just do that every time? Well, of course you would like to do that every time, but it's just not possible. The problem there is that, after that really foolish decision on the fourth and three throw to Xavier Leggett, well short of the sticks, I thought the Vanderbilt game was actually called pretty well from an offensive standpoint. I did too. It's calls fault when you fumble and you get called for holding and all this other stuff. Two interceptions. Uh, yeah. Two I mean, four turnovers. Uh, I mean, I actually, 
I agree with you on that. I thought the Vandy game was called very well. Uh, it's just that now players got to go make plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Texas A&M, nothing worked. I no. mean, I had the 89-49ers out there, and it probably wouldn't have worked with what they were doing. It was just yeah. absolutely ridiculous. But looking ahead to the Florida Gators, um, strange Florida team coming to williams Price Stadium this Saturday. You know, they've had a lot of dissension this week. They got their ears pinned back against Georgia last week, which – Georgia's real good, but Florida just – it went from three to nothing to 24 nothing in the span of less than three minutes. And that's just the kind of thing that can demoralize a team. So, looking at Florida from afar, John, what do you see is the biggest thing that South Carolina has to shut down? Well, you're going to have to shut down a mobile quarterback. I know that. Uh, and like we just talked about, mobile quarterbacks can be a real problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think you – I mean – I almost want to say you got to have a guy spying the quarterback uh, the majority of the game uh, and not let him get loose and outside and run uh, because we've seen both of them can do it. Uh, what Richardson, I think, uh, he, he's he's one of the best running quarterbacks in college football right now. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, so he's going to be a problem. And then th- their defense is really good. I mean uh, – you can let some of the scores they've had fool you, like the Georgia game and others, but Florida's defense is, has a lot of talent, really big up front, um, really good defense. Um, so I think uh, we're going to have to throw some wrinkles in if we want to score any points. And I think the defense is just going to have an outstanding, have to have an outstanding game and cause some turnovers. And um, if the offense is going three and out again, it's going to be another long <laughs> – and it's already set up to be a pretty long night anyway. I don't know if you've read the weather forecast, especially uh, for yourself or for the audience, but it's supposed to be cold, rainy, probably about 35 degrees once we all get out of the stadium on Saturday night. So it's going to be a nasty one. Please be sure to bundle up if you're coming, and hopefully the Gamecocks give you something good to, to cheer about. One thing that may help, uh, with, you mentioned Anthony Richardson. Uh, he is questionable to play. I believe he's, he's got a concussion against Georgia. They don't know if he'll be able to go. That would leave it to Emory Jones, who's also mobile, but he's had some up-and-down games. So you just kind of yeah. hope to catch him on the downside. Um, with You mentioned a spy on the quarterback. Generally, if you have that, John, it's probably going to be a, a middle linebacker, somebody like that, correct? Yeah. What would you think if USC really went out the box and said, you know something, Jalen Foster at safety's had an All-American type year. Maybe we can use him a little closer to the line, use him to spy. And they've sent him in on a couple of safety blitzes this year, but can a safety be that kind of spy out, out there without sacrificing too much? No, I don't I don't think you can do that. I think you got to leave the guys where they are. Um um, I mean, not saying Foster couldn't do it, but uh, I think he's a little undersized to be a middle linebacker because if they just start running the ball, yeah, uh, that I think that's where the the downfall would be. So, not saying he couldn't do it, but uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think uh, I think I, I don't I, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, and uh, that does leave it up to USC's linebackers. Brad Johnson's been having a pretty strong year. Damani Staley's had a decent year. And then you have the nickel. Uh, Carlin's Platel or whoever might take that spot can be in there and try to keep uh, Florida's quarterback under wraps. And like I said, the Gators have been going through a lot of off-the-field turmoil as well, which a lot of it's created by their coach, Dan Mullen. Um, 
he's had a, a few comments. There's a lot of whispers around going that he might not want to be there anymore, that kind of thing. How much can that kind of demeanor, John, affect a team? And I ask you because at the end of 2004, you guys went through sort of the same situation where Coach um, Holt's future wasn't up. Before you just finished that question, I was just going to tell you I've been through something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like when Coach Holtz announced to us before the Florida game, we are sitting at six and three, probably should have been seven and two at the worst or and then six or eight and one at the best. But uh, we, we had a really good team this year. And then it seems like when coach Holtz told us uh, before the Florida game, the, you had a bunch of guys that were upset, especially younger guys, because, Hey, we came here, you know, you recruited us here and now you're leaving. Da, 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 da. And uh, I think that causes a real, real problem on the team. As you saw the results of the Florida game that year, and the fight with Clemson, uh, I think it just makes guys lose focus on what they're supposed to be doing and maybe puts a little bit of anger into their head. And uh, so I think this is actually something that if we come out and have a good game, um, coaches call a good game and, and the players don't have missed assignments and we don't turn the ball over, I mean, I really think this is a game you can win. Yeah. Um because of that kind of stuff going on over there, uh, because it, it does it does take a toll on players. Yeah. Uh, we got a question from the audience here, uh, John, and this is from Bob. And Bob says, uh, Eric Douglas said this week that the O-line is still confident, and Marcus Satterfield says this offensive scheme isn't any more complicated than any other scheme. Could suddenly the offense start to click and we see the results that we all want? John, you want to take that one? Bob. <laughs> uh, you know, there's been no proof of uh, things clicking and the results are going to come. It's it's actually gotten a little bit worse the past, uh, at least the last game to me. Uh, but, I mean, with a week off, it does do wonders. I will tell you that. It, it kind of gets you rest up, gets your mental regain, you know, uh, gets you back to feeling good. Uh, so, I'm not saying it can't work. And, and really, though, he, Satterfield is right. The, the offense is simple. I mean, we ran a lot of zone with Lou Holtz, and we did a lot of counter, too, though. A lot of pin and pull. So we had a mix of it. But, uh, I mean, there's, there's nothing rocket science out there. I think it's just guys miscommunicating with each other. And me, personally, I don't like the quarterback calling the blocking the O-line. I just – I don't think it's a good thing, um, and I think that's that, I think that's been some of the problems this year. So hopefully they get it they got it sorted out last week, and uh, maybe we will see an improvement this week. Who knows? And to add to that, Bob and John, I mean, there's no magic pill that, that you can take even over that <laughs> says, oh, "Okay, everything's fixed now." It's not like you come up on one dynamic play like, "Oh, that's the reason. That's what we got to do." There's always going to be hope that, you know, something works, that, that you find a seam in the defense. I mean, it could be something just as as flukish as, you know what, they threw it long down the field and the corner fell down and it became an easy six. I mean, sometimes you need things like that to happen. So you just have to hope that they, they find something that works early and that they have the smarts to keep doing that if it's working early. Yeah. And if Florida sniffs that out, then you, you go to something else and you can do it. But – Again, as, as John pointed out, things haven't been going great, and it's, it's hard to imagine that it just all of a sudden reverses, which is a shame because 
coming into this season, John, I don't know if you agree here, but I looked at these last five games, starting with A&M, and said, hmm, I, I don't know if Gamecocks win any of those. And they didn't win at A&M, which I didn't expect them to. Didn't expect them to look that bad, but I didn't expect them to win. But these last four games, they're all winnable. Every single one of them is winnable. And that's going to be the difference between a good season and a bad season. Gamecocks are four and four, which is certainly not bad. How they've gotten to four and four has been a little worrisome, I guess. But how do you see the rest of this season playing out, John? I mean, can they feasibly win three of these four, two of these four to get bowl eligible? I feel comfortable saying the two and two finish. Uh, could you maybe catch Florida this week? sleeping at the wheel after getting beat down in Jacksonville and all the drama that's going on with them? Maybe. And then, then hey, maybe you win three out of four. Uh, I really don't see us beating Auburn. Auburn's playing as good as any team in the country right now, in my opinion. Just, you know, I've watched a couple of games. I watched Saturday night's game. Um, Auburn looks really tough. I don't – it's not the same Auburn team that uh, came in here last year. And I will tell you this, I – watching their offense and looked a lot like our offense last year uh, with obviously for us, there was a ton of pin and pull and guys were getting big runs, uh, Tank Bisbee and all that. But uh, um, I see two and two. I think Missouri is very winnable. I know it's on the road, but they've, uh, they haven't shown much at all. Uh, And then Clemson's offense is, uh, probably equal to ours. So I think it's going to be maybe a three to two game. Yeah. It's weird. I looked at the NCAA stats for total offense this morning, John, and Clemson's at number 114 out of 130 and South Carolina's at 115. So I have been looking up the all-time lowest scores in the rivalry game. And there were a few six to three results in there. might be in line for one, but I always like to use the last part of the show to talk about my guest career. Uh, John, you redshirted in 2000, correct? Yeah, red shirt in 2000. Uh, then I lettered 2001, 2002, starter and lettered 03 and 04. Uh, right. So you kind of saw the gamut. I mean, you were there for the, the first Outback Bowl season. You played the second Outback Bowl season. Then 02 and 03 weren't great results-wise, but you became a starter. And then came 04, which was a weird, weird year. Just super about that. Uh, if Man, if you go – I did this not too long. I just went back and looked at some of our games and the scores of some of the games. I mean, that that 04 team, we we had a we had a lot of talent. I mean, you just look at the NFL draft and all that good stuff and all the guys that are playing in, that played in the NFL or and a couple still are, but uh um we had a really good team that year and uh that 6 and 5 record and the fight against Clemson was very disappointing. Um um I mean, at the very worst, I think we were at least a eight and three team, and it just uh, uh, once Coach Holtz told us he was uh, stepping aside, it just it messed the mental game up for the team. Yeah. And I, I wish he wouldn't have done it. I wish he just would have waited until after the Clemson game, and then hey, all right, Coach, well, let's go win a bowl game for you. But uh, didn't uh, didn't turn out that way with that. And, John, I don't want to use the word regret or anything, but obviously Coach Spurrier came in after Coach Holtz. Any wish that you maybe could have had one year with, with the ball coach plan? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. Coach Spurrier recruited me at Florida. So oh. I hung out, talked with Coach Spurrier, and uh, 
years before South Carolina on recruiting visits down to Florida. I think I, uh, I went down there for probably four or five visits, you know, unofficials and stuff. And uh, so I knew Coach Furrier uh, since then. And uh, they also recruited my cousin, who was two years older than me. Uh, I used to go down there with him on his visits uh, when I was a sophomore and he was a senior in high school. So, um, so I knew Coach Furrier for a while. And, yes, I mean, I would love to play for Coach Furrier. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, I'll never forget this. I got one good Spurrier story. Um, so, you know, I was undrafted. I went to the Redskins, went to minicamp. I wound up getting cut. And uh, I walked up to the coaches' offices uh, right before uh, camp started that August, his first year. You know, walking there, I talked to Jamie Speronis the second, Coach Spirit comes out. And I was like, hey, Coach, yeah, John Strickland. was like, yeah, yeah, Strickland, yeah. He said, you was with the Redskins about as long as I was, wasn't you? <laughs> <laughs> that was his first thing. And I just uh, – I was like, oh, oh, man, that's, that's... – I changed one bit. Yeah, man, that's one thing. And I think uh, Steve Spurrier is going to come in. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll be at the game. I think he's supposed to be in town this weekend for some event. Um, you know, I had heard earlier in the year they were going to have a reunion of the 2010 and 2011 teams during one of the games, but that might have gotten nixed because of COVID protocols. So, But I have been talking with Coach Spurrier off and on about this series on the 2011 team I'm doing. And I know there's still some, some hard feelings about how it ended here, but – Nevertheless, the, the man had some great ball games here, but uh, you know that's beside the point. But uh, John, so what what are you doing these days uh, in, in your real life uh, after football? Now you, you in Houston full time in the oil business? Nope, I'm in Columbia. Uh, I uh, work out of my home office. Have been for over eleven years now. Wow. Uh, I work for a company called Vertex Energy. Uh, we are probably the we're probably the second or third largest re-refiner of used uh, oil in the U.S. Um, and that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, so I'm the basically over the entire Black Oil Division. I'm over the uh, uh, Black Oil Supply for all of our refineries that comes in. So basically we take used oil that you go get your oil changed and we re-recycle it back into brand new base oil. And that's and need to change mine, come to think of it. But uh, and you, yeah. you got to, to Houston a good bit, right? I think you see. Uh, yeah, I have, I have, uh, I haven't lately. Uh, I think last time I was there was probably two months ago. But uh, uh, I almost went last week. Uh, my parents wound up going to the game, game two. They went to. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, no, I haven't been there in probably a couple months. Okay, I was just about to ask you uh, what you thought <laughs> about the game the other night, but <laughs> we don't have that up if you don't want to. Well, we're 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 from Georgia, so yeah. I I was going to Braves games since I was five years old. Uh, actually, I haven't been to a Braves game in probably about eight years, uh, and in the past eight years, I've probably been to sixty Astros games. Wow! So, but my company has season tickets, and a lot of uh, my friends in Houston that I'm friends with now, and some I do business with. Um, you know, we all go to Astros games together. So, you know, I'm actually a uh, – the way I look at it, National League, I'm Braves, American League, Astros. And you can ask all my buddies, my Braves buddies and Astros buddies. I was telling them, I was like, man, this will be awesome if the Braves and Astros are in the World Series. And sure enough, it happened. So, there I thought – cool. So, basically, it was a win-win for me. I, I was happy with either one. 
I can understand it. I'm sure hoping you get to see another win this weekend as Florida comes to Williams-Price Stadium. Uh, John, I want to thank you for joining me today. It's been terrific catching up and great insight on how the offensive line is going. And uh, for all who, who asked a question and joined in, we appreciate y'all. All the subscribers to Gamecocks now, thank you for so much. Uh, thank you so much for reading. And there'll be a lot more updates this week. But um, yeah, with the uh, Gamecocks offense, it's just kind of wait and see. And maybe it'll get better. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think uh, I, Coach Beamer is going to get it right, trust me. I've known Shane for a long time, since he was here his first stint. I've followed his career since then. I uh, just talked to him two weeks ago. Uh, he's going to get this thing right and do whatever it takes to get this thing turned around. That's who he is. He loves his place, wants to be here, uh, and he's going to do whatever needs to be due. So I just tell the fans, stay patient, support your team. We only won two games last year. Let's let this thing get rolling a few years. And I promise you, Coach Beamer wants to get this thing right. I'll, I'll leave everybody with that. And just let's get out to the Florida game and support this team. No doubt about it. Well, uh, again, for my guest, John Strickland, for the Post and Courier for Gamecocks now, I'm David Kloniger with Countdown to Kickoff. And we will see you Saturday night at williams Price. Wear your raincoat and bundle up. Y'all take care. <laughs>